welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. In big church, we will open up our Bibles to two different places here in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. And then we're also going to flip to the very end of our Bibles and look at the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 actually tells the story of, in a very odd way of, of what we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 2. So we'll be in Revelation 12, 1 through 6. So Matthew 2, 13, Revelation 12, 1. Those are our scriptures we're going to be seeing here. We are talking about uh, what we would call a sermon series, The Gift of Christmas. And one of the gifts that God gives us is His protection. Meaning, we as believing Christians who have trusted Christ as our Savior, God calls us His children. And because we are His children, He protects us. And what we're going to see here today is we don't realize uh, in many ways, the uh, challenges and the evilness all around us. Now, we're certainly aware of a lot of the things that are wrong and sinful around us, but there might be even more things that we are not aware of, yet one of the great things as believers we take comfort in is God protects us from many things, and we would never have known about it, and we won't know about it until we get to heaven. So God's protection is something of a blessing, a great blessing that the Lord gives and surrounds His children with. And we're, I'm going to show you that here in the Bible. In the Christmas story, we see how the Lord was protecting His Son. And then throughout the Scriptures, we see how God actually presents angels, God guides us, and not only that, God delivers us from evil. And those are the three protecting ways we experience the Lord, and that is a gift this Christmas. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible tells us, After they were gone, that's a reference there to the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. Egypt was about 75, 100 miles west. And you're going into Africa when you go into Egypt. Egypt in the Bible was always a place you didn't want to be. It was a place of bondage. It was a place of slavery. It was a place that sometimes you had to go there, but you really didn't want to be there. Because sometimes in our life, we find ourselves uh, that we have to do things that you really don't want to do. And if you were uh, choosing things in life to do, it wouldn't be one of those things. But for a variety of different reasons, sometimes you and I, we have to go to Egypt. What does that look like today? Going to Egypt is having a difficult conversation. You're having to address things in your family, maybe with your spouse or with a child or a grandson. And you've got to talk to them about an issue. It, has, it cannot be swept under the rug anymore. That's what it means going to Egypt. Going to Egypt might mean for some of us that we have to go to people 
who we need to extend forgiveness to, and we have wronged, and we have to come and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked that way to you. I shouldn't have lashed out with anger. That's what we see here going to Egypt. But they literally went to Egypt. We might not literally go to Egypt today, but Egypt is a difficult place. But it's a place you have to go to it. Why is Egypt so significant in the Bible? Egypt was a place that was out of the promised land. It was a place of idol worship. It was a place of the pharaohs. It was a place of people who did not worship the Lord. But during the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there was a son named Joseph, the eleventh of twelve sons of Jacob. And he had become the prime minister, second in charge under Pharaoh. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But because the Bible says Joseph was a diligent man, he was very wise, and he, God had given him dreams and visions, he was a saver during time, tough times. There was a great recession, a great famine. Nowadays, we call it recession. In the Bible, it's called famine. Well, there was a seven-year recession in the Bible, but because of Joseph's diligence, he had saved up. God had said, you need to start saving the grain. Just become, put, up, put everything you have in the, in the big cisterns. We're just going to save, save, save. Because tough times are coming. And they came. And Joseph's family from Egypt, or from Israel, had to go, come down. That would have been Jacob and all his brothers and his sons. Jacob's sons and Joseph's brothers had to move to Egypt to stay alive. They didn't want to go to Egypt, but they had to go there. Jesus had to get out of King Herod the Great, who was a brutal man. He was a killer. That's who he was. He was what was he great at? He was great at killing folks. And what happened was he had to get out of town, get out of Judea, which would have been his domain, and Egypt, he had no jurisdiction over Egypt because Egypt was a mighty army. So you could slip into Egypt and get away from King Herod. And that's what baby Jesus is doing here. So Egypt provided a place of protection from, the, from King Herod. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. God had planned all of this. God had wanted his son called out of Egypt. That's Hosea 11.1. 1. Then Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men. He flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men, then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah would be there in Bethlehem. Weeping a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel was born there in Bethlehem. And she refused to be consoled because there are no more. That's Jeremiah 31.15. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So God is speaking to them, speaking to Joseph in a dream while he's in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child as a mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child as a mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, 
he was afraid to go there. That's going back to Bethlehem is what he's talking about. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a region of Galilee. So what happened, a second dream came. Joseph didn't know where to go. He didn't want to go back to Bethlehem because this, they would have maybe been able to track this child somehow escaped the massacre that occurred uh, maybe a year or two earlier. And they thought, well, we need to go ahead and execute this one. That's, so they moved up north back to where they originally came from. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to, fill, for, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Do you see how the Lord is guiding this young holy family away from King Herod and even from King Herod's son, but bringing Jesus back to the promised land, to the little town in northern Israel called Nazareth, where he is going to grow up, and spend most of all Jesus' time, but it's a very much time we don't know much about in the Bible, was spent in Nazareth. So that's where he ends up here. Now flip over in your Bible to the book of Revelation. And I'm, I want to read this story here because you're going to see, uh, I, th- I think what we could call a behind-the-scenes uh, picture of what was going on. Do you know... When we read the book of Revelation, a lot of times we walk away and we think, what is going on here? But this story we're about to read about is actually a retelling of this story about King Herod trying to kill baby Jesus. And I'm going to explain the figures here. We're actually going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights here at our church. And we don't always see the, what we might call the uh, the, the spiritual things of, every, of events and circumstances occurring in our life. But this actually shows to us what King Herod and what he, who he was being influenced by and what he was actually trying to do. The devil was aware of who baby Jesus was. He was fully aware that this child uh, born in uh, Bethlehem was the Messiah. And you say, how, how would he know? Remember, The devil is a fallen angel. So when all of the heavenly host appeared to those shepherds in Bethlehem to make that announcement, the devil likely saw that too. He's also a a fallen angel. So when he saw good angels appearing on shepherd's field outside Bethlehem making the announcement, he was aware of what had happened. He knew of the pronouncement of what King Herod was trying to do to kill those baby boys. He heard the wise men and was aware that they saw this star because the devil also probably saw the Christmas star and was traveling to this area. But God had a protection around His Son. And we're going to see it right here. In Revelation chapter 12, we're about to see meet three characters. I'm going to tell you who they are. We're going to see this person called the woman. The woman represents Israel. Israel in the Bible is God's chosen people. It started with the call of Abraham. Well, actually, he was called Abram. He was from the, Ur, the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in current day Iraq, which back in later on it became Babylon in Bible times. He was a nomadic shepherd whom God called and says, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You see all these stars? These are going to be your children. And from that call came this this family of Abraham, what we call the fathers of our faith, Isaac and Jacob. 
And Jacob had 12 sons. And those sons, and God renamed Jacob Israel because the 12 tribes of Israel were that little family that had to go into Egypt. But they were there for 400 years in slavery. And when they came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through Moses leading them out, they were no longer about 75, 100 folks just uh, in, in living in Egypt for, uh, to ex- escape the recession and the famine. They came out as a million plus people, an army, a people of God. And from these people, from that initial call of Abram, the great purpose of that is the seed of what's going on through Scripture is we're, we're leading to Jesus. He's coming from this lineage. Understanding the Bible, you have to understand what, what that original call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that is actually fulfilled with Jesus. That's where He's going. Now, there were a lot of detours and a lot of events that were occurred throughout that's what, the whole entire Old Testament. But that's where He's leading to. And the devil is aware of this. He knows. So the woman here, when we read this story in Revelation chapter 12, we're going to see this woman who's about to give birth. This is Israel. This is the nation of Israel. She is going to give birth to a son. Who is the son? The son is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we see another character here called a dragon. The dragon is the devil. And he wants to destroy the son. These are the characters, what's going on in the Christmas story. This is the behind the scenes picture. And the reason we need to look at this is because, remember, the book of Revelation is the only book of the Bible that tells us we are blessed to read those words. You need to know the book of Revelation because it's telling us about the future. If you don't understand it, ask the Lord, says, Lord, help me understand this book. Put it in context. But remember, the book of Revelation is a future book. So it has not occurred yet. We're talking about what's going to happen in the future. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. This is a retelling of what I just told. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. Do you remember when Joseph saw the sun and moon bow down in that dream? Back in uh, Genesis chapter 37, in the, 12, in the 12 stars on his head. That's a reference there. This is Israel. This is the nation. This is Jacob. This is the father Jacob and Rachel and their, and their family. That's what we're talking about here in verse 1. She was pregnant. Israel was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on its heads were seven crowns. There's a lot of different interpretation what all those crowns and heads represent. That could be nations. That could be uh, different types of of, uh, symbols of some type of... uh, of kings coming together, we, we just don't know. It's, swept, it's, it's tail, that's a, that's, this is a reference though to the devil. It's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. We know from the book of Isaiah chapter 14 
that the devil, where did he come from? He was a prideful fallen angel. His name was Lucifer. He wanted to be like God. And the Bible says that God cast him out of heaven because of his pride, and he wanted to wage war. He rounded up other angels to fight against God. This is out of Isaiah chapter 14. You can go this week and read it. You write it down today. Come and read this story. And that verse there in verse 4, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven. Those are probably demons. That meant in this rebellion against the Lord, somehow Lucifer rounded up one-third. He got some followers for other angels, and they rebelled against the Lord. And they were cast out of heaven. So Lucifer wasn't the only one. This one-third are what we would consider demons here on earth today. Understand, it says, hurl them to the earth. This is the demonic that's here today on earth. And the dragon, that's Satan, he stood in front of the woman who is about to give birth. Now, what what does this mean? Who was trying to kill baby Jesus? Who was eagerly awaiting the birth of this child? King Herod was. King Herod's the one who's trying to kill the child in Bethlehem. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. So that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. And look what happened. Her child was caught up to God and to His throne. That means he escaped escaped the death of King Herod. The Lord protected baby Jesus. And He did this by by moving him to Egypt during his birth. Meaning there was a sense of protection that was made. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had been a place prepared by God. That could, the wilderness could be Egypt there. To be nourished there for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Now we do not exactly know how long Jesus was in Egypt But what we see here is God protected little baby Jesus and this young holy family away from King Herod from being devoured. This here, Revelation 12, is the backstory, the behind the scenes story of what was occurring in Matthew chapter 2. We see how God was maneuvering and positioning. There is this young family, so this dragon... Who was, being, who was influencing King Herod to kill baby Jesus. And King Herod was a great killer. And he had, was greatly influenced by the demonic. So what does all this mean for us? We see here in this passage that God protects us. We have a Lord that sends His protection and we rely upon that daily, I believe. And I'm going to quickly show you Three areas here in our Bibles and how God protects us today. And the first one's going to be very interesting. But we see God sends angels. And the Bible tells us this in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. Meaning God sends His angels. He orders His angels to make sure we're protected. 
What's interesting about this Bible verse, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, do you know which verse the devil used to quote to tempt Jesus? It was actually this verse here. He says, why don't you throw yourself off this cliff? Because the Bible says this verse, Psalm 91.11, was actually quoted by the devil. He quoted it. He quoted this verse to Jesus. He says, you know, your Bible says God will send His angels concerning you to protect you. So why don't you just go out and test Him? So just because this Bible says, our Bible tells us that God's going to send His angels to protect us, that doesn't mean we test and tempt God to see if it was really true. Angels are God's special agents. They are, they are divine beings that we cannot see. But they exist. They exist for our benefit. They exist to serve the Lord. They are not people. They do not procreate. They do not multiply. They work for the Lord. And the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews 13.2 that there are angels all around us and we're not even aware of it. We can't see it. They live in a different dimension, the Bible says. Hebrews 13.2 says, Don't neglect to show hospitality. For, some have, for by doing this, some have actually welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Meaning you could actually speak and greet to a person whom you think is a person, but is actually an angel. I used to read this little, little magazine <coughs> made by guidepost called Angels. I don't know if they make it anymore, but it was stories. You had to be careful of those because sometimes they kind of Get way off the side of here, but get out, out of the bounds of the Bible. But uh, many were just miraculous stories of random people that would come and help others in times of crisis. And I tell you, one of those times of crisis is a car wreck, your house is on fire, there's some uh, emergency, and someone pulls you out of a vehicle, and you, don't, you turn around, the person's gone. Like, how, how did I get out of here? I, I don't remember who, who was that person. Just some stranger. who shows up and helps you out. <coughs> and we have to be careful when these type of things happen and even studying this. We don't need to be fixated on angels. We have to accept the fact that God does have angels. He sends angels. We do not worship angels. But they're a reality. God used angels all throughout the Christmas story to direct His holy families. To speak to Joseph in a dream, to guide, <coughs> to guide this young family of where they need to go. Have you ever heard the phrase, a guardian angel? That actually comes from Jesus. Not the exact words, but the reference to it. It comes out of Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. The Bible tells us here in Matthew 18, 10, Jesus is speaking about folks who were being somewhat harsh to children. They, they were just looking down upon little ones. And Matthew 18.10 says, See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. And that word there is used in reference to the, to the little ones. Meaning these little ones in heaven have been assigned by the Lord an angel that are looking as what it means continually viewing the face of my Father. That means they have access to God. 
that means the, the ones that you look at as maybe they don't understand the gospel or you're frustrated with small children or whatever, it, whatever your challenge is, you believe, you know, uh, the, you, don't, you forget to see that this person is created in the image of God. And they might even have an angel attending to them, protecting them, helping, working with them. And who are you to be harsh to them when God is not? And I want to say, this doesn't just apply to little ones. This applies to any other person. This is why we value life. Jesus says, don't despise, don't look down upon others because they are created by God and for God. And they could even have angels around them. That is where the phrase, a guardian angel, comes from. God could be using angels to protect us and we're not even aware of it. Only the Lord knows. Now, we as Christians don't need to get hung up and caught up on angels. We worship the Lord. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We likely will never see an angel ourselves. You might not physically see an angel. You might see someone who takes the form of an angel, but then they're gone, and you think, what happened there? But we just need to accept it that God sends and uses angels for our benefits. Number two, what, what, how else does God protect us during Christmas? God, the Bible says, He guides our steps. That means that we're very busy. There's lots of uh, things. We have decisions we have to make, and many times we don't know where, where to go, what to do. And the Bible tells us He guides our step in Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. He says, A person's steps are established by the Lord, and He takes pleasure in His way, meaning God will actually establish, He will direct you where you need to go. If you are, if you are at a crossroads, you're thinking, God, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? What path do I take? You can seek and ask the Lord and He will show you, the Bible says. <coughs> Though He falls, He will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports Him with His hand. Meaning, even if you fall and you stumble and you make a wrong decision and we go down the wrong path, the Bible tells us we're not going to be overwhelmed because He will pick us up. He will support us. He will make sure we're steady. That It's the steady, guiding hand of the Lord. The Lord guides us. That is a way the Lord protects us. Listen, uh, protection is not going to come through just a, a security camera and buying a bunch of guns. Protection is ultimately comes from the Lord. You know, most families, it's not external people who come in that destroy homes they're destroyed from within it's within your home it's the stuff coming on the tv and the internet and the bickering and the fighting inside your home that's the, where the destruction comes from from within and we trust the lord and we want him to hold us up and to guide us especially during christmas time and thirdly and finally what else does the lord do and how does he protect us he actually delivers us from evil and that, we get that from, the, from what we call the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives us a prayer that we are to pray and we are to ask the Lord. And one of, the very end of that prayer, it concludes in Matthew 6.13. It 
And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask the Lord to deliver us from our challenges. And, that, and the best way for deliverance is says, God, I want to live a life of avoiding temptation. And the way to do that is there are just some places we don't need to go. And there's some people we don't need to see. Don't put yourself in a position that you're going to yield with the possibility of temptation. You say, God, that's just a path I don't need to go down. That's somewhere, a person I don't need to talk to. And especially during a busy time of Christmas, we, this can easily happen to us. In fact, it happened to me yesterday. Miss Osmond in our house shops at Kohl's in Nicholasville. And she buys stuff. And do you know who the one is who takes it back to return it? Because she doesn't want to go back to the store. I'm the return man. She buys it, gives me the receipt, the Kohl's charge card and the item, and I take it back. I have returned all. I'm, I'm a professional return man. If you need something returned, you give it to me. I'll return it for you. <clears throat> I know how to return stuff. I'm not bashful. I'm, I've accepted it in life. That's what I do. Well, I went to Kohl's yesterday, and I'm a very mild-mannered man. I don't lose my temper. But I walked in this store, and the return line was there, and it was not a little long. It was very, very long. Like, this is the line and the window's over there. And I walk in, and I'm supposed to be home for dinner. And I'm thinking, there, there's no way. Like, and I don't want to drive back down here, so I'm just going to stand in line, and I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to get frustrated. Like, why, why is this line so long? I'm looking at, I can't believe I even did this. I was looking at the counter and says, why don't they hire some more people? I was like, why not even say that? Why did they hire more people? So you're, because you're thinking, all these empty registers, but there was only one, one or two people sitting in there. So I, I had to make the wait. I'm already missing dinner, going to get in trouble when I get home, but I'm holding my little, my little return receipt and all my stuff, going to take it back. So when I get towards the front, the lady behind me, I, okay, if we walk up to a line together, if you were like, we walk up the line together, and you were like, uh, even if you were two feet in front of me, I would just let you go. But she stood behind me that whole time. She was inching up like she was going to pass me and break in line. <laughs> I think there's no way. And I want to tell you, this wasn't like a child. She was like 13. I'd let it slide. This is a grown woman. It's like, ma'am, you know better. You're older than me. I know what you're doing. You're trying to break in line, and you don't think I'm going to say something. You know, I'm, I don't cause big scenes. I won't do it. So I'm thinking, what am I? And she's, she's now in front of me. It's like she is broken in line at Kohl's. And we've both been waiting for 20 minutes in this line. And I'm thinking, I'm going to do something. I'm going to either, I'm, I might speak up because they're about to cost. One of us is going to be next. Folks, this is what I did. So Because I don't want to cause a scene. I, I inched up even more and moved over to the side. <laughs> I blocked her. Because I did not want to, I didn't want to make a big, I didn't want to speak out and say, ma'am, you broke in line. So I'm literally blocking her in the line. I thought, this is a more secretive way to do this. I know it looks a little weird, but I'm, I'm holding my spot. And then I made it. They called it right after that. I got to go. And I thank the Lord because I did not want to cause a big scene in the Coles return line in Nicholsville and say something or do something that I would later regret. And the Lord said, Daniel, block her off. Scoot up and move over and do that. And I did. That is how God 
delivers us from temptation. He, de- he protected me in that situation of causing and embarrassing myself. I was just hope I hope she doesn't go to our church. <clears throat> that man is cutting her off right there, and I'm getting frustrated. Might say something to her. But these type of things all the time occur around us. And I believe the Lord actually will give us a path, give us a direction, so folks, we don't sin. So we we don't find ourselves constantly having to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've made a mistake. I've sinned. I shouldn't have said that. It's better better for us to uh, follow the Lord's leadership then constantly have to go back to people saying, will you forgive me? Will, I'm sorry for what I did. I spoke out of turn. I raised my voice. I was angry at this situation. We have a God who delivers us from evil. And the way He does this, I believe, is He protects us and shields us from even allowing it to occur. That's why in the Lord's prayer he says and do not bring me into temptation i don't even want to go down the road of temptation because if you go down that road you keep going down the road of temptation one day you're going to yield and you're going to give into it and we have a god that protects us and will not allow us to do that that is our great lord so tying all this together how does god protect us Through His angels. We don't see them, but they are there. God also, He guides our steps. And thirdly, in many ways, most importantly, He delivers us from evil. He did it to this young family, Mary and Joseph. And He led them into Egypt. And then they brought them back to the promised land. This morning, I'm going to encourage you, this Christmas season, we're two weeks away I want you to be dependent upon the protecting power of the Lord. If you are at a crossroads, if you have some big decisions or some difficult conversations, you're going to have to have some, some of your family members. You ask the Lord, God, guide my words. Guide my steps. He did it with Mary and Joseph, and He could do it with you. I want to close this with a prayer, so let's bow our heads and pray. God, I pray for all the folks here this morning. I pray that they will trust upon You on Your protecting power. Lord, You are one that shields us. You forgive us. You deliver us. You use angels. You guide us. There's many different ways that Your protecting and guiding hand is upon us, just like Mary and Joseph. And Lord, it's something we can't take for granted. It's something that we can't overlook. But Lord, it is true. And Lord, I pray we cling to it this morning. Lord, thank You for being our God. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for guiding us to worship You this special morning. Lord, this invitation. I'm sure there's some people who've never received Your saving power. Lord, that is the ultimate protection. The protection from the devil who wants to destroy our lives. Jesus, if there's anyone here, and I'm sure there is, someone who needs to get saved, I pray they will walk this aisle and say, I need the protecting, saving power of Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you this invitation, and we pray we boldly respond to the message. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. We're going to close our worship service here with an invitation. We're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. Hymn number 249. This is your time to respond to Jesus. Jesus is calling your home, calling you home. Men, I want to encourage you. You lead the family. Just like Joseph was leading his young family, guiding his family to Egypt, you guide your family down the aisle and say, hey, this is going to be my church home. I'm going to be the man of the house and I'm going to lead my family to Broadway Baptist Church. And you guide your family to make a decision to follow Christ. So we're going to stand together. We're going to sing on goodbye our deacons to come forward and stand up here and receive our decisions, those who make, make decisions. Hymn number 249, Jesus paid it all. David? Okay.